Morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 4. We're going to look at Matthew 4, 1 to 11. And it's printed in your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. You're welcome to follow along there. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, there are Bibles in the foyer and you're welcome to take it. And we encourage you to read it as much as you possibly can. Uh, we're continuing our series on the book of, of Matthew. And um, basically what we looked at last week is, is how Jesus went and was baptized by John. And, um, and the last thing, what, what, what we saw happen is the heavens were opened, right? And the Spirit came down upon Jesus like a dove. And, and then you heard the voice of the Father say, this is my Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And now, immediately after that, he goes out into the wilderness. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he has this showdown with the devil as the devil tempts him. And, and really what we see here is a major test that Jesus undergoes in the wilderness. So listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 4. 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that you would help us to see what you want us to see here. Um, We pray that your spirit would be working in our hearts, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that each of us would grow in our understanding of you and our understanding of what it means to live as your children and to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever gotten a zero on a test. I mean, like a legit zero, like every question you got wrong. Has that ever happened to you? It has happened to me. I'm ashamed to say. It was fifth grade. I was, it was science class. It was Mr. Arnold's science class. Now, Mr. Arnold was scary. He was like this big guy with a crew cut. I think he was former military. He used to yell a lot. And so you didn't want to disappoint him, you know? You definitely didn't want him to yell at you. And so he, one day he, he gave out a pop quiz in science. And um, I don't know what happened. You know, it was stressful. I was flustered. I, I wish I could go back and look at the actual test because I really want to know how did this happen. It was like true, false, fill in the blank, multiple choice, 10 questions. I got them all wrong. 
And I was just like, I was just so embarrassed. But I mean, does anybody, I mean, there probably are some really strange people in this world who like to take tests, but most of us probably don't like to take tests usually. You know, tests are, they can be scary. They, 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 there's a lot of pressure put upon you when you have to take a test, right? There's this opportunity for failure when you take a test. It's just really stressful. It's just really, really stressful. There are very few of us who like to take tests. In the first verse of Matthew 4, it says, Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the word tempted means to be basically given the opportunity to do wrong, to given the, given the opportunity to make a wrong choice or, or to, to do a, a wrong action or, or to sin, really. But the word that's translated tempted is also translated tested. Um, so the same word that's translated tempt is the same word that's translated test. And in Matthew, actually, he uses the word, the same word, um, and, and it's translated test a lot of the time. So I think while, yes, Jesus is being tempted by the devil, what's really happening here is Jesus, as he gets ready to undergo, uh, to, to go about his public ministry, he is taking a test. He's taking a test, a spiritual test. Now, a lot of us are familiar with all sorts of different kinds of tests. You know, we've, we've grown up going to school and taking tests and exams and quizzes, right? Um, we've taken driver's tests. There's all sorts of tests we take. I don't think we often think about the fact that we are regularly being faced with spiritual tests in our own lives. And so I think this passage gives us some insight into the role of those tests and the nature of those tests. So what does this passage teach us about tests, spiritual tests? I think the first thing that, that it's important for us to notice is that if you are a Christian, then we must expect to be tested on a regular basis. We must expect tests to come. And first of all, what I mean by test is anytime we face something that is hard, anytime we face something that, that ratchets up the pressure in our lives, anytime that we face something that is frustrating, they can be major, huge crises that, crises that we're facing in our lives. They can be small little frustrations. But all of those things test us in different ways. All those things test us in different ways. And I, and I think we need to expect that we are going to be tested. Actually, we can, ex we can expect that God is going to be testing us. And why do I say that? Notice, this isn't just Jesus going out into the wilderness for some alone time, and then he happens to just run into the devil. Oh, look, here he is. And the devil tempts him. Look at what it says. It says in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who's in charge here? Who is who, the one that, that wants the, the testing to happen? It's actually the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness in order to undergo this test. I mean, as usual, as you look throughout the whole Bible, the devil is just kind of a pawn in what God's trying to accomplish here, as he always is. The devil may be kind of administering the test, but it's God, the Father, and the Spirit who want Jesus to undergo this test. And so it's important to notice that that, that God, just like Jesus, I think all of us, God wants to bring tests into our lives. And it's important to recognize the purpose of this testing. Does God bring the Jesus out into the wilderness to test him so that he hopes he will fail? Absolutely not. The purpose of the test for Jesus is to teach him, to strengthen him, to bring him to a place of, of greater confidence and faith in his Father and in the Spirit. 
And I think that's the absolute you know, fact for each and every one of us. We need to expect that God is going to allow things to happen in our lives that test us every single day of our lives. Not so that we will fail, but so that we will learn, so that we will grow, so that we will be stronger and enabled to serve him. Now, before you say, well, this is, you know, Jesus here. I mean, he's, he's unique, right? The son of God. So maybe God wants to do something unique in his life that, you know, we, we might not have to face, really. But, but what I also want, to, want you to notice, as you read this, if, if you're a Jewish person reading this, as you read just the first couple of verses, you're like, there's, there's a lot of things in here that sound very familiar to me. They sound very familiar, you know, being, being led in the wilderness, the number 40 comes up as Jesus fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? Remember back in the Old Testament with the Israelites after they have been set free from Egypt? What happens? God leads them where? Into the wilderness. And what does he do there? He tests them. He tests them. In fact, it says that explicitly in Deuteronomy 8 too, that God led the people into the wilderness to humble them and to test them. And again, God's not testing them so that they will fail. He's testing them so that they will, be, they will grow and he will teach them and he will enable them to more fully follow him and trust him. Okay? So I think this is something that God does throughout history for his people. He's constantly allowing things to be brought into our lives to be tested, allowing things that are hard, allowing things that we would rather avoid. We need to expect that. We need to expect it. We need, to, we need to recognize that, that, it's, that, that God wants us to, to grow and to change, and this is the role of these tests, and so we need to expect them. We need to expect them. But I think that as we see the devil's strategy to test and tempt Jesus, one thing this helps us to do, it helps us to prepare for these tests. You know, it's not like, have you ever had one of those classes, maybe you were in college or something, and you had one of those classes where there was like so much information, and you were just like, I just wish I knew what was going to be on the test. It's like, there's too much. I can't study it all. I just wish that the, the, the professor would give us some idea of what's going to be actually on the test so I could just focus on these things and be more prepared. And so what we see here, as, as the devil tempts Jesus, as Jesus endures this test from the devil, we get some ideas of, of some of the subjects that we will be tested in as we live our own lives. And I see four things, really, the, the three specific temptations and a fourth thing um, that comes out in a couple of them that we need to be ready, uh, that we need to be prepared for, to be prepared to be tested in. Um, the first thing that I want to mention is the subject of our identity, who we understand ourselves to be. Remember, what was the last thing God said to Jesus right before this happens? He said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. What are the first words out of the devil's mouth? If you are the son of God, in verse 3, right? First words out of the devil's mouth. If you are the son of God. The second temptation, what does the devil say? If you are the son of God, what is the devil trying to do? He's trying to undermine Jesus' understanding of who he really is. He's trying to get Jesus to doubt himself. Am I really the son of God? You know? The devil's like, if you're really the son of God, then you would, you, know, you would obviously just make some food for yourself. You don't need to be starving right now, right? If you are the son of God, and so I think that's one of the things that we need to be prepared as we live our lives. There's going to be constantly pressures and things that we endure and face that are going to make us question our own identity, our own, our own sense of who we are. 
In a very basic way, every single one of us are made in the image of God. We have significance, we have value, we have importance. And there's all sorts of things that happen in life that make us wonder, am I really worth anything at all? Aren't there? You know, when, when we fail at some thing that we're trying to attempt at work, when we fail in school, when we lose our job, maybe, we might question, who am I? Am I really worth anything? You know, when we, when we begin to per- compare ourselves to other people, when you look at social media and you're like, man, I'm not as, you know, put together as that person. I'm not as attractive as that person. I don't have as much as that person. I'm not having as much fun as that person. I'm nothing. My life is nothing. You know, when other people might criticize us or say something hurtful to us or make fun of us or ignore us, we might question ourselves. You know, am I really that important or significant? Am I, I'm I'm nothing really, you know? There's things that make us question whether we really have value and whether we're made in God's image. But even beyond that, if you are a Christian, who are you? If you're a Christian and you believed in Jesus and trusted in him, God says that you are his child. You are his beloved daughter. You are his beloved son. He delights in you. And there's all sorts of things that we face in life that, that may make us kind of doubt that at times. Does God really love me? Uh, there are some people who point out, you know, a lot of times we live our lives like orphans rather than like God's children, having to try to fight for ourselves, protect ourselves, rather than trusting that God is my father and that he's always going to be there for me and take care of me and that he lo- loves me, you know? And so we need to be prepared for all of those things that are going to make us question who we are. We need to be reminding ourselves who we are every day of our lives. Do I believe that Jesus died for me and that he's enough for me? Then, then God delights in me. I'm his child. No matter what happens today, I'm his child I need to try not to question that. I need to believe it. We need to be expected to be tested when it comes to our identity. We need to be expected to be tested also when it comes to our dependence on God. Our dependence. That's the second area of testing that I see uh, that, the, that the devil tests Jesus on. You know, Jesus is starving. He hasn't eaten 40 days and 40 nights, right? You can imagine. I, I doubt that anybody here has gone that long without eating. He's got to be hungry. And the devil shows up. He's like, well, if you're the son of God, you shouldn't be having to starve like this, you know? Take care of yourself. Make some bread out of these stones. You can do it. You know, if you can't take care of yourself, how are you supposed to be able to take care of other people? And Jesus just answers him, no, no. It's not bread that sustains me. It's my father that sustains me. It's every word that comes from his mouth that sustains me. He is the one I'm depending on. Not these temporary things, these physical things. And I think this is important for us to to think about. And you know, what are the ways that we are tending to um, rely on ourselves to to get what we think we need in life? To think that, that I will be full if I obtain enough, if I'm successful enough at work, if I, if I work hard enough to earn enough money to buy the things that I want and the things that I think I need, then I will be full, then I will be okay, then I will be satisfied. 
But the reality is that no matter how much I have, no matter how put together my life is, no matter how good my family looks to other people, if I don't have God, if I'm not depending on him, I will never be full. I will never be full. And so I think we need to be prepared. There's going to be pressures in our lives, you know, as we look around us, as we, as we, as we engage with advertising, that's constantly telling us, no, you need this, you need more. This is what you need to depend on. The other people that we work with, our supervisors, our bosses, this is what you need to do in order to, to have life and to be full. You need to remember, it's God. Every word that comes from his mouth, what he says about who I am, what he says about what he's done, what he says about what he promises, that is what will fill me. I need to depend on him. The third area of testing uh, that the devil tests Jesus in is faith. What do I mean by that? Well, well, the devil invites Jesus to throw himself off the temple, right? Why does he say this? You know, the devil says, throw yourself off the temple, and then the angels will catch you. The devil even, you know, craftily quotes some scripture here. And he says, even, you know, God's word, you know, you're, you're, the devil knows Jesus is committed to God's word as Jesus has just quoted scripture to him. The devil quotes scripture right back. He says, you know, if you're really God's son, then, then, you know, prove it. You know, throw yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you. And then what will happen? Then you will know. Then you will know for sure that God's going to take care of you. You'll have proof that God's going to take care of you. I think that's what the devil's encouraging Jesus to seek. He's encouraging Jesus to, to seek more information, more knowledge that God is going to be there for him, more proof that God is going to be enough, that God is going to lead him and protect him. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Now, I, I will often take issue with some people who say, you know, being a Christian is just all about faith. It's just kind of believing even though I don't have all the answers and I, you know, I just kind of have to take this blind leap because it doesn't make sense, but I'm just going to believe. I don't think that's entirely true. I think God encourages us to believe based on evidence, on the reality of things that he has done, on the reality of things like the resurrection of his son from the dead. We have good reason to believe that God is real and that his promises are true. But I think there's a line between, between trusting in God and believing in him because of what he has shown us and then constantly being like, God, I need you to prove yourself to me today. I need you to prove yourself. I need more, I need more knowledge to, to, to know that I'm going to be okay, to know that you're actually here. You know, a big part of faith is trusting what he's given us. And then as we move forward, even though it feels very dark, even though we feel like we don't have all the information for going forward and, and, and we're very uncertain to, to really count on the fact that God is here. Jesus uh, quotes Deuteronomy when he responds to him. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when he's, what, what, what Moses is talking about when he's writing Deuteronomy back there is when the Israelites are in the wilderness and they are thirsty and they're just complaining and grumbling to Moses. And they're like, why did you bring us out here? We were better off in Egypt. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? And, and they say, you know what? We want you to do something. We want you to do something so that we actually know that God is here. So that we know that God is with us because apparently the, the, the plagues in Egypt and, and the parting of the, the Red Sea wasn't enough for them. 
and, and the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. And all that God had done for them up till then wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed more proof. And I think this is what Jesus is saying. You know, I, I, I don't need more. I'm going to trust God, even though this, the future does seem uncertain. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Lastly, the devil tests Jesus on what I would say is, is the, the cost of glory. The cost of glory. How much does glory cost? How much does glory cost? The devil takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms in their glory. And he says to Jesus, this can all be yours. This can all be yours. All you got to do is bow down to me. And you'll have it. And the ironic thing is this, right? That, that actually it, it already is Jesus's, right? Um, and and, and historically what's going to happen is, is Jesus is going to receive that. He's going to be exalted and placed as king over all things. But in God's plan, he's only going to receive it after he suffers, after he dies. Jesus is going to have to lay down his life before he receives all of that in the fullness of glory, right? And the devil's saying, no, you don't have to do that. Just bow down to me and you'll get it now. You'll get it now without having to suffer. And that's the temptation, I think. See, Jesus knows that in God's plan, in the Father's plan, glory, all that Jesus was made to, all that Jesus was, deserved to experience, I should say, all of the glory that he deserves was only going to, to be received after he suffered. That was the path that he had to take to glory. And, and the reality is, is that that is the path for every single person who follows Jesus as well. There's no easy path to glory, to filling, feeling the fullness of God's glory and presence and power, feeling the, the fullness of joy and peace. The, the only path to that stuff is actually through what Jesus says is, you know, if you want life, you've got to lose it. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to lay, yourself, lay your life down. You've got to be willing to sacrifice all that you are. And so this is, this is the thing. I, the, Jesus, says, Jesus says, no, I'm going to worship the Lord and him alone. I'm going to listen to him and him alone. And if that means that I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death to experience the glory that he has for me, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I think the challenge for us as we think about life, there's going to be the constant temptation for us to think that we can have it all, that we can, we can have the fullness of God, uh, that we can experience the fullness of life by doing it the easy way, by just trying to you know, cling to what is mine, to being comfortable. Um, and, and I think we are encouraged to, to recognize that if, if we want real glory, what God has intended for us, then it means that we have to let go of our comfort. We have to deny our comfort. We have to give up our comfort in order to serve others, in order to love others. We need to give up our, um, you know, just sense of, of, of safety and security. We need, to, we need to give up, you know, the things that are ours, our resources, our money, in order to see uh, God's kingdom grow and experience the glory of being part of that. We need to give up, you know, guarding our 
reputation, what other people think of us, um, and realize that that may be, may be the cost to, to speaking truth, to standing up for others, to sharing the reality of our faith with other people. The path to experiencing the glory that God has for us is the path of sacrifice and suffering. So we're reminded here that the Spirit of God is going to be testing us. He's going to be testing us. He doesn't want to see us fail, but he, he wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. He's going to be testing us on, on our sense of our identity, on our, our dependence on God, on our faith, our willingness to trust him, even in the darkness, even in uncertainty, without proof today. Um, he's going to be testing us and in, in what it will cost to follow him and to know him and to know the glory that's associated with, with being his child. Now, as I said before, Matthew writes this and he wants us to think back to the Israelites. And, and one thing that I think we also need to recognize as we think back to the Israelites is, is recognize that, um, well, how did the Israelites do when they were tested? Not good, right? Not so good. They were failing over and over again, constantly grumbling, constantly, you know, making their own idols, failing to worship God. They were constantly failing. I think there's another couple people that, that we're meant to think back to as we read this passage as well. You know, Jesus is being confronted by the devil, you know, face to face, talking to them, tempting them, tempting him. Uh, do you remember some other people that that happened to back in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve. How did they do? Not so good. You know, every other person or group of people that we're encouraged to think about as we read this passage fails the test that is put before them. And I think that, that, that reminds us of the fact that every single one of us, no matter how hard we try, no matter how prepared we are, we're all gonna fail too. We're all gonna fail these tests as well. But as you read this passage, what we see here is someone who masters the test. Jesus is the only one throughout all of history who has mastered every test put before him. As I mentioned last week, the, the whole reason that he goes and be, and to be baptized by John is to fulfill all righteousness. A big part of Jesus' life is being not, not just coming to die for our sins, but coming to be obedient for us, to give us credit for his perfect grades to give us credit for his perfect score, to give us credit for his perfect answers. This is what the Christian life is. It's, 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 it's receiving Jesus' sacrifice for us, to die for us, but it's also receiving Jesus' righteousness for us, to know that God looks at me not, uh, not based on how well I do on the test, but based on how Jesus has done on the test. And, and because of that, that is why his feelings about me will never change. And so we are encouraged to relax. Even as we read this, even as we're encouraged to think about being tested ourselves, to relax. I said, tests are stressful. Tests can put pressure on us, but, but we're encouraged to relax because Jesus has aced the test for us. He has mastered the test for us. Jesus, as I mentioned, he offers to give us credit for his answers, for his righteousness. And so the warning to us is this. 
we need to be careful where we're getting our answers from. Are we gonna get them from Jesus or are we gonna get them from somewhere else? I, I said, you know, that, that experience in fifth grade um, was awful. It was brutal. It was, even, it was even worse than I at first talked about. You see, I couldn't figure it out. I, I, I have no idea. Again, I, like I said, I wish I could go back and look at the test. How did I get every question wrong? Um, and the thing was, I was a really good student. I usually got really good grades. And so it, was just, it just baffled me. What happened? Because everybody else in the class got a good grade on that test. Well, everybody else except for one other kid who was sitting next to me. See, he was getting his answers from me. I didn't realize it at the time, but it became clear when Mr. Arnold was standing over us and just so disappointed, knowing that one of us had cheated or that we'd worked together. And it was just, I was just like so ashamed. It's like, I didn't cheat. And yet, you know, he picked the wrong person. He should have copied off the person on the other side, I guess. <laughs> he was going to copy off of anybody. It was brutal. It was like the worst test experience ever. We need to be careful where we're getting our answers. So one of my best test-taking experiences I ever had was in seminary, where one of our classes, it was a theology class, and we had a major final exam that counted for like a big part of our grade, and the way that he administered the test, the professor administered the test, he administered it in groups. So you got two other people to take the test with you. It was an oral test. And so you went in with the professor, with these two other students, and he would ask us questions, and then we would just answer them. And then the whole group would get the same grade. Um, and if you were smart, you guys would study together, and you would figure out who's the smartest one here and let them do all the talking. Because sadly, some people insisted on doing a lot of talking and they actually, their group suffered for it. So if you were smart, you figured out who was the, who was the you know, smartest person in the group and you would let them do almost all the talking. And, and it was great. In our group, I had this guy in our group who was incredibly intelligent. And, and the grade that he earned for us was our grade. Um, <laughs> And it was, it was awesome because we had another guy in our group. He was, he was a Korean student who didn't speak very good English, and he was going to struggle to take this test. Even though he knew the, he knew the information, he knew, he knew the, the, the content and everything like that. And yet he was enabled to, like we were able to all get A's because we had this guy carrying us. And that is what Jesus does. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. If we are just willing to be quiet and to let Jesus do the talking for us, to let Jesus doing the, do the work for us, to let Jesus doing the obeying for us, then we can know that God is with us. We don't have to doubt it. And we can actually engage these tests that we, engage, that we endure throughout life and, and we can actually learn something from them and grow as his kids. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize these tests that you place upon us. There's just a myriad of tests that we will face even today where we might be tempted to doubt who you've said we are. We might be tempted to rely on ourselves rather than you, to think that we can get what we need with our own wisdom and our own strength and abilities and gifts. Father, we pray that you would protect us 
protect us from thinking that we can experience real life without denying ourselves and laying down who we are. Father, we pray that you would teach us. We pray that you would help us to recognize that as we endure these tests, that the Spirit is with us to shape us and grow us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.